Hey everybody, it's Dom Aprilli, aka Footage. Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of Hiker Trash, where we go inside the minds of the interesting thru-hikers and trail folk that make up the diverse trail community. This podcast is meant to unite the community of adventurers, outdoor enthusiasts, vagabonds, conservationists, and everything in between. With the intention of sparking some nostalgia, hearing some personal stories, and listening to advice from seasoned trail veterans, we bring to you another Hiker Trash interview. This episode is sponsored by Garage Grown Gear. Garage Grown Gear sells wildly cool gear from small and startup outdoor companies. If you are looking for some great gear from some incredible brands, head on over to garagegrowngear.com and use the code HIKERTRASH at checkout for 15% off your first purchase. Thank you to Garage Grown Gear and be sure to check them out and take advantage of that exclusive discount. For the third episode, I interviewed Aaron Ivey, trail name Wankles. Aaron reached out to me after hearing the first couple of episodes of Hiker Trash. I'm happy that this podcast has been so well received and that listeners are reaching out because they believe they have stories worth sharing. So this was our first remotely recorded interview, and after about an hour of technical difficulties, we were finally able to get connected and conduct the interview. I just want to thank Aaron again for his patience while we worked out those kinks to get the interview going. And without further ado, here's what Wankles had to say. My name is Aaron Ivey. Uh, trail name is Wankles. I through-hiked the Appalachian Trail last year in 2016 northbound, uh, and I'm also an adventure and outdoor landscape photographer. Give us a little background on yourself, how old you are, where you're from, and uh, what you're doing for a living. I'm 22 years old right now, but when I through-hiked, I was 20. Um, I recently I graduated high school and... Uh, basically wanted to do something that people weren't necessarily doing. You know, everybody was going to college and, uh, you know, setting off on, you know, doing the same old thing everybody else was doing. And I wanted to do something different. So I found the Appalachian Trail and um, I wanted to do that. And right now I'm uh, working uh, for my uh, family business. Um, we restore, restore antique toys and I run the online sales department of that. I do that when, uh, I'm not hiking and not traveling and stuff like that. That's super interesting. I'm going to ask you a little bit more about that, but, uh, and just quickly, where are you from? I'm from, uh, Indianapolis, Indiana. Cool. So yeah, tell me a little bit about, uh, your family's business. What kind of antique toys are you like refurbishing Uh, yeah um my my dad started this business 35 years ago um in his bedroom and it's now a uh brick and mortar store in in noblesville indiana and uh i've been working there since i was about 12 and uh we restore toys from the 1890s all the way to the about the 1960s primarily 10 toys and like big press steel trucks and things like that. And I run the, uh, the online, the online store. So I take photos of all the toys that we own and put them online and ship them out to customers who buy them and stuff like that. Wow. That's awesome. Do you want to give the name to everybody out there? Yeah. So you yeah. Check it out? It's uh, it's Randy's toy shop. Okay, cool. And you, you take all the inventory pictures. Yeah, I do. So did you grow up in Indiana? Yes, I did. I was, I was born and raised in, uh, in indiana and i've been here my entire life um i don't i don't plan on staying here my entire life but for right now it's it's where i'm at and i'm content with it but i i know that it's not somewhere that i'm going to be permanently for forever 
So how did you get into photography? Actually, I got I got started in photography from my uh, grandfather. Um, he always had a camera around, like around family, you know, go fa- family vacations and stuff like that. And I've always, you know, been super interested and in, you know started taking photos. And it and it didn't really fully become something until about eighth grade of uh, like middle school when I finally got my hands on like an actual, you know, digital DSLR and um, started just shooting photos randomly one day of some friends around my house. And I really felt like it was something that I was actually good at. You know, I've tried, you know, playing basketball, soccer, and I was terrible at it. I hated it. I never liked it. The only other thing that that I was decent at was skateboarding and I still never felt like I was, you know, that great at it. Um, but when I picked up a camera, I just immediately felt connected with it. And, uh, I just knew that it was something that I needed to really look into and look into pursuing. And, um, so once I, once I really got my own camera, my dad bought me this, this cheap, you know, entry level DSLR online and, I started, you know, taking photos of my friends skateboarding and, um, that was like the first thing I really became profound at, you know, at shooting with skateboarding, you know, I had all these flashes and I would shoot these tricks of, of local skateboarders in the Indiana area. And after that, I've always had a love for, you know, camping and hiking and stuff like that. So I brought my camera with me during, during those times. And I started really enjoying taking landscape photos. And then that's basically, you know, how, how that came about. So I'm going to connect the dots and say that you're into the things that have a lot of like independence and they're kind of self-driven rather than the team sports, you know, uh, going into skateboarding and, and it's, it's all intertwined with like, you know, it has that artistic kind of aspect and, uh, you know, expression and creativity. So that makes a lot of sense. Exactly, exactly. I didn't want to have to rely on, you know, a whole team to have fun with something. I wanted to be able to, you know, if I wanted to, I could just go outside with my skateboard and skate out on my street for hours by myself. Or if I wanted to go out and shoot photos, I didn't have to have a whole team with me or something, you know. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because to be a through hiker, you definitely have to be self-motivated. Yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, so let's uh, jump into how you learned about the AT. So pretty much every spring break that I could remember, my family and I would go to the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and we'd go camping there and we'd always go up to Newfound Gap and I remember this point always like this is the only thing that I've ever been able to like reconnect the trail to like my first moment I I realized it was we went up to Charlie's or we went up to Clingman's Dome and there was like these these like dirty like hikers basically at the bottom of of Clingman's Dome and I was like who were they had these big massive backpacks and you know they didn't look like all the other tourists that up were up there so like I immediately drew like my attention toward them and I was a younger kid and I asked them what they were doing and they told me they were they were through hiking the Appalachian Trail and I was like what is that and they told me that it was this trail that went from Georgia to Maine and I was totally astounded and like blown out of my mind and later comes to find out that my dad always had this dream to hike this trail he had um he he wanted to do it as an entire, you know, family thing, you know, my mom, 
my dad, my sister and I, but that just never, you know, played out with, uh, with, you know, how life is, you know, that's, that's, uh, pretty hard to do with the whole entire family. But he always told me about these dreams he had of hiking it. So I became extremely interested in it and it really didn't like solidify or become an actual thing until like my senior year of high school. And that's when I figured out that I, that I was really going to go for it and really, you know, try to hike the Appalachian trail. And I ended up doing it and I haven't looked back ever since. How did your dad feel when he found out that you're going to hike the trail? He couldn't be more proud of me. I, I wanted to go. It was either between going to photography school in Philadelphia or hiking the AT. And he really, he, he never went to school. He dropped out when he was in, um, you know, eighth grade. And now he owns his own business and has been for, you know, 35 years. So he's, he's never been one for um, going to college or anything like that. He always told me, you know, college will always be there to take your money, but you may never be, you know, you may, you may never have the opportunity like this to, to do it. So you definitely need to take advantage of it. And, um, so he was supportive. My entire family was extremely supportive of me. Um, I couldn't be more grateful for that. So that's awesome. Your dad seems like a wise man. Oh yeah, he definitely is. He definitely is. He's something, someone I, I, I really look up to. So aside from just meeting those through hikers, like what actually made you want to hike the AT? Um, funny story. Cause I was, I was planned, I was bound and determined to go to school. Like I, like till my last semester of senior year, um, I had a girlfriend for like five years that I was dating and me and her were planning on, you know, she was going to go to school and I was you know, going to go to school with her basically and go to the same school. But, um, we ended up breaking up and I was like, I honestly had no idea what I was doing. I was kind of in like a, in like a, a whirlwind of like, what, what am I going to do now? And I found the, tra- I found the trail and I was like, that rekindled with me. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to do this. This is what I'm going to do. Um, and I just fully committed to it. And I told all my teachers that I was close with that I was doing it and they couldn't have been more supportive of me. And like, that's basically what got me to do it. Unfortunately, as, as weird as that sounds, a, a breakup did. But, um, you know, I've always wanted to do it, you know, but it really didn't solidify until that last semester of, of senior year of high school. But there was still a, a two year gap. Yeah, yeah. So. So I graduated in 2015 in May and I set off the next following year in March. So, um, I knew that I couldn't do it right after I graduated cause I was, you know, graduated in the middle of May and I didn't want to have to rush my hike or anything like that. So I planned on doing it in, in March of 2016 and I started Mar- March 5th of 2016. Awesome. All right. Yeah. So you basically wasted no time cause that was the yeah. first season that, uh, you could be there in like March. Yeah, exactly. How was your life like before the trail? <laughs> it's funny. Cause like, I honestly don't really remember that much of my life before the trail. Like I don't remember, like I, the trail completely changed me personality wise that like, you know, I was, I was a skateboarder and I remember I just hated a lot of things. I really judged a lot of people for a lot of stupid reasons, like if they didn't like exactly what I was doing or like liked what I was into, then I, then I did not like those people at, at all. And 
now I'm the complete opposite. I'm super open to everyone. I, I, tr- I try not to judge as much as possible. Um, and I'm just like a, a very open-minded person and I'm, I open, you know, whenever I meet anybody, I just open them. I just meet them with open arms. But before the trail, you know, I was just this little kid, basically. I was just this kid. And I, I honestly believe the trail has, you know, made me become who I am today and, you know, made me grow up and, um, see the world for really what it is. And I'm extremely fortunate for that. So how did that transformation kind of take place? I mean, it's funny because that's a time where a lot of people would be going to college and they're, they're growing up, you know, while going to school, but you're in the woods kind of going through that transition. And yeah. Yeah. So how did that happen? And, um, do you remember any moments on the trail where you were just like, kind of like had to figure stuff out or where you felt like you were a little bit more mature? Ah, oh, that's, that's a, that's a good one because I never, cause when I was on the trail, you know, I, I felt like a really of like a, a little kid uh, you know, I was, I was enjoying every day, you know, I didn't have any, have any worries in the world and no stress at all, except for when I was going to get my next meal or my next shower or anything like that. Um, but for honestly, the, the, the moment that changed me the most was I had a friend from back home that wanted to go with me and I made the decision to tell him, no, I did not want him to go with me because if I was going to go with somebody from back home, I wouldn't have been more open to just, you know, coming up to complete strangers and talking to them and, be, and you know, having these friendships. You know, if I had a, if it was a bad day or something and I wasn't in a good mood or, you know, and I could always just rely on that one person I knew and I didn't want to do that. I wanted to strip away everything I knew from, you know, midtown midwest indiana and i wanted to you know fully experience this by myself um and really uh i think that was the moment that i that like i became more mature and it wasn't even it was even before i you know went on the trail it was about you know a month before i i left yeah that's a good call because i do think uh in a sense if you were if you were to go with someone from back home it does kind of it does. It holds you back. You have yeah, uh, the you comfort have that in comfort, that person. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a good idea to like force yourself to be open to what the trail has to offer because you find out that not only does the trail have to offer just the uh, beautiful scenery and whatnot, but most of the trail experience that you'll remember and that you'll feel fondly about is the interactions with all the other hikers and people that you meet along the way. Exactly. And I wanted to push myself so far out of my comfort level that it was going to change me no matter what. Um, so that was just, I had to, you know, push myself out of that comfort level. Can you talk about your prior hiking experience? You said you went um, hiking every year with your family. Yeah. So I would, I would go, you know, camping and, and we didn't do, you know, when I was, when I was a little kid and we'd go to the Smokies, I hated hiking. I hated it. I did not want anything to do with it. I wanted to go to Gatlinburg and look through all the stores and look at all the toys. And so prior hiking to the AT, um, I really didn't have that much, you know, I do little short day hikes, um, you know, nothing more than like three or four miles, but, and, you know, I wasn't an athletic person by any means. So I wasn't, you know, out running marathons or anything like that. Um, 
but yeah, just doing little short day hikes was about the only hiking experience I had prior to, you know, hiking the AC. And how was doing that kind of as a tradition with your family? Like what kind of imprint do you think that made on you um, being able to experience like the outdoors as a family growing up when you're young and impressionable? Oh yeah. Yeah. It just, you know, it just made me realize that the outdoors is just, you know, it's almost a second home in a sense, you know, I, I have so much fondness from, you know, just camping with my, with my family and I've had so many good memories and so many good times with my family. So whenever I'm out in the woods, it doesn't matter where I'm at. I'm just always, you know, subconsciously reminded about all those good times I had growing up. And, um, it just made me always, always enjoy it and always love it. So being in the outdoors as a kid, do you think that made you think that the world was bigger or smaller? Um, it made me personally feel extremely small. And I think that that's like one of my favorite feelings, um, for the world though, it made, it made the world seem extremely large. Um, but in that, that's the most human feeling in my, in, in my opinion is, you know, being out in these huge mountains and really feeling how small you really are. You know, these mountains are giant compared to us. And, you know, sometimes humans think, you know, we're the, we're the rulers of the world and reality. We're just, we're just part of it. Yeah. The great outdoors can be very humbling. Exactly. Aside from your dad, how did your family and inner circle react to the idea of you hiking? They, they were all super supportive. You know, I had a few people like, what, you're going to do that. I remember I told, uh, some of my aunts at, at the Christmas before, um, I left that they just kind of looked at me like I was crazy. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm seriously going to do this. Like, um, <laughs> you guys don't believe me, but you know, watch me, I'm going to do it. You know, I had a, I had a few skeptics, but they were always supportive, but they, they, you know, they voiced their opinions very, very openly. And did you have any doubt? How confident were you that you were going to do it and complete it? Right before I really committed to, you know, doing it, I was a skeptic. You know, I was like, is this something I can really do? Like, but then once I fully, you know, committed and started telling everybody, you know, I started telling, telling the, the, the woman at the bank, I started telling my teachers, that's, I started telling my close friends and I had some friends like, do you think you're really going to do this? And I was like, I'm going out there. I'm going to do it. Like, there's no doubt in my mind. The only thing that's going to stop me is if I get injured or if somebody in my, you know, if some tragedy happens where I have to come home, but mentally I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to bail. Like that was the mindset I had. And like before, like a month out, I just started preparing myself like mentally for this hike and like being disconnected from my phone and being, you know, not having air conditioning or pillows or, you know, water at just the, you know, just a few steps away. I started really getting in that mindset of, all right, this is, this is what I'm about to do. I'm about to be living in the woods for six to seven months. Like I got to mentally prepare myself. And I think the best, the best tool in my opinion is I read Appalachian trials by uh, Zach Davis and that just revolutionized the way that I saw um, how I was going to start backpacking and how I was going to do this this through hike. So you actually did some deprivation exercises before you even stepped foot on the trail. Can you 
tell me about that a little bit and tell me how long you did them and, and what were some of them? Yeah. So, so I knew, I knew physical wise, I, I, I work, I started working out about, you know, uh, four months prior to, um, starting the trail and it was nothing crazy. You know, I was just getting myself accumulated with, you know, sweating a bunch and just like more cardio than anything. But I started really working on, on my mental and because that's, that's honestly the strongest part of your body is your brain. And if, and if your brain goes, then your, your whole body's going to, you know, shut down. So I had to make sure that my brain and my, you know, my mental strength was, was top notch, um, in regards to, you know, hiking and being disconnected from everything that I knew and being, you know, being extremely out of my comfort zone. Um, so I was just, that was pretty much what I just, what I did is, you know, I, I quit looking at my phone as much. I, I turned off pretty much all my notifications on my phone. So like whenever somebody texted me or I got like a Facebook or an Instagram update or like anything like that, it didn't pop up on my phone. I would have to go into these individual apps to see it. Um, and that was like one of the things that I did to, to, you know, help me, um, not feel so connected, you know, that was, you know, one of the main things as, you know, as a 20 year old in this generation, it's, you know, you, you feel like your phone is always to your hip and I wanted to get away from that as, as much as possible. What did you expect the trail to be like? Honestly, I knew it was going to be, I knew it was going to be rough, but I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I knew, I, I thought it was going to be tough and, you know, rugged, but it was way more than that. It was, it was brutal. <laughs> um, honestly, I just didn't know, you know, the only thing I ever saw was just, you know, photos, you know, online of the trail. And, um, even that didn't even compare to what it was actually. Yeah. Nothing is a substitute for experience. Exactly. So why was it so harsh and brutal? Can you tell me about some of those like challenging times? <laughs> so I I never really hiked with any weight on my back, so any uphill or any, you know, anything like that was just extremely more difficult. You know, all my joints hurted way more cuz I added, you know, 20 25 pounds to my back and I was not expecting that at all. Um and for some reason, I thought the trail was going to be, you know, pretty um, clean and clean cut, but that was just far from the truth. It was just rocks and roots and just huge high knees, lifting your knees up to your chest to get up over some of these roots and rocks. And um, it was almost like an obstacle course the entire time. And that's basically how I looked at it, it was just a fun obstacle course instead of this like massive mountain that I may never get to the top of. I like that. That's a good way to look at it as an obstacle course, a very, very yeah. long obstacle course. Yeah. It's a very, 2200 miles obstacle. long. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The world's longest opt- obstacle course. How'd you get your trail name? Um, so I had two trail names. Um, I had Lemonhead, and I got that like the second day of trail and that was just because I brought lemon heads on trail. And about a week after that, after I tried to tell, you know, people that picked us up in 
you know, in town or whoever I got a hitch from, they'd be like, what's your trail name? And I'd be like, Lemonhead. And they would always think I said Womanhead or Lemonade. They never got it right. And so I kind of just kept that for about, um, about five to 600 miles. And then, um, once I really started getting into hiking, um, my ankles would always blow out. Like I would always trip or roll my ankle, but they would never hurt. Like I would never hurt myself, but I'd always be tripping or falling. And, and my good friend that I hiked with, um, two souls, he gave me the trail wankles for weak ankles. And that just kind of stuck. And everybody started calling me that. So that's, that's kind of what I went with instead of, instead of women head. Yeah. We talked about that on one of the other episodes that sometimes you're too gung ho to like jump on the first trail name that gets recommended Uh, at least you've ended up finding the right one a little bit later on yeah yeah it took it took a second but it'll find you it's always something you mess up it's never like a cool trail name if any i knew if anybody had like a cool trail name they like gave it to themselves or like their like brother gave it to them or something like that so i always knew if they kind of had a funny one that there was there was something they messed up on or something they screwed up what was the best moment that you experienced on the trail Oh, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, the best experience on trail I'd have to say is, um, so in, in New Hampshire, in the white mountains, um, we had just got done, um, being with my family for a week. I, a lot of my family's from Vermont and we went to my great uncle's, you know, cabin for a week to take a break before we hit the white mountains. And the first day, um, back on trail, we hiked up, um, out of Lincoln up to Mount Liberty and we stealth camped right under the base of Mount Liberty, which isn't even on the trail. It's about a half a mile off trail, but we went up to the top of Mount Liberty this eve this one evening and watched the sunset. And we had the entire summit to ourselves and it was just absolutely beautiful. And that's where I think personally, I think I captured my favorite photograph there was the, uh, the sunset on Mount Liberty. And we just sat there and just had such a good time. It was me, um, two souls, water boy and Pocahontas. We were up there just enjoying, enjoying it so much. That was like the most vivid, um, evening on trail that I could remember. So I'd have to say that was one of my, one of my best moments on trail. And why do you think that's the best moment on trail? Did you have an epiphany or was it just one of those times where you just like realized the magnitude of what you were doing? You know, you know, I kind of did have an epiphany. I, I realized very quickly that the, these people that were around me were more friends that I felt like I've ever had in my life. Like I felt like this is, this is truly how friends are supposed to be. And if I didn't find any other friendship that was quite like this, then, you know, um, it almost wasn't, you know, worth my time. If I couldn't find people, you know, that were like-minded individuals that, you know, could, um, you know, relate on things and, you know, be extremely open, then these were the people I needed to be around. And that was, that was basically my epiphany that evening. It was, these, these people that were around me at that evening were my family. And, um, I, I couldn't have been more, more fortunate to meet them that on that trail. Yeah. The people that you develop relationships with on the trail, um, 
the relationships are so strong because everyone's struggling together. You're all going through the same thing and nothing brings you closer to someone than, you know, struggling together, going through these great experiences together. And I, I joked with my friend that trail relationships could be measured in dog years. A relationship on the trail, it's, it's so short, but the substance that's packed within that, that short time span is just so much greater um, than most relationships that people have throughout their whole entire lives. I couldn't agree more. That's such a good analogy. I've never even thought about it that way, but that's exactly right. That's yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. You know, that's, you're with these people pretty much all day, every day. And your trail family really becomes, you know, your, your real family. And I feel that, that I've gained, you know, two brothers and a sister since, since that, that hike. And I, and I couldn't be more fortunate for that. So were those people, would you consider them like your trail family? Did you hike with them for a long period of time? Um, yeah, I met two souls and Waterboy my second night on trail and I hiked with them all the way to Katahdin. No way. Yeah. Which is extremely, you know, me, me and those two guys were always together. We had a lot of people that latched onto us and then ended up falling out or, you know, separating their own ways. But those three guys, we always, us three were always together. The only thing that ever split us up was um, in New Hampshire, uh, Tussles got Giardia, and we ended up going on without him while he went home to rest. And so me and Waterboy actually finished together, but Tussles finished just shy of two weeks after us. That's a long way to go without having exactly. a pick up before that because it's so hard to stay with the same group because, you know, everyone yeah. has ailments or, you know, if they get off for one reason or another for even if it's temporary, but it's really hard to, to stick with a pack for that long. Yeah. Yeah. Extremely hard. And, um, yeah, it was a rare, rare occurrence with us. We just never got on each other's nerves and we were always, you know, all had the same type of personality and we're just super happy, outgoing people. And, you know, if one of us was bummed, you know, another person would lift us right back up or help us out or, you know, support us. But, you know, there's, there was just luckily never anything that, you know, complicated our, our hike together, which was, which was great. And you guys stay in touch now? Oh yeah, extremely. I talk to them almost, almost every day, daily. Maybe I get a phone call maybe once or twice a week from them, but, um, we always are sending text messages and talking through Facebook and Instagram and stuff like that. And where are they from? Two Souls and Waterboy were actually friends that grew up together in Mississippi. So that's how I know them. They're they're uh, they're from Mississippi, and I'm from Indiana. And it couldn't have been more of a uh, an odd group up. Yeah, but that just goes to show the power of the trail that you're making these um, lifetime friends with people in like different part of the country that you probably would have never met if not deciding to hike through the woods. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. What was the worst moment for you on the trail? The worst moment? I, I remember this. It was the day that I almost quit. The one and only day where I really felt like I wanted to quit. It was in New York. I don't know exactly where in New York, but it was in the middle of summer. And there was this thing called the heat dome. In 2016, there was this massive heat wave that came over the New York and New England area. And I got to the top of this this mountain 
well, let me start over the, the day before we were in a town in New York. I don't, I don't know exactly which one, but my dad called me and he was like, we're having this. And I knew about this. My whole family was getting together and renting this cabin in in Gatlinburg. And, um, my dad called me and was like, Hey, I can get you a plane ticket to Knoxville to, so you can surprise everybody and show up at this family gathering. And, I, and at first I was like, hold on, let me, let me talk to everybody. Let me see, let me see, uh, let me see if I should really do this. Um, let me get back on you. And I talked, talked it over with two souls and Waterboy, and they were like, man, you know, we were going through a little rough patch, um, at this moment, you know, it was, it was extremely, extremely hot and we were just pretty unmotivated for the most part. And he was like, man, if I feel like if you get off trail, you may never come back. And I was like, you know what, man, you're right. I can't get off trail. I can't do it. So I called my dad up and I was like, I can't, I can't do it. I'm, I got to keep hiking. You know, I, I would love to be there with everybody, but, um, I'll see you guys when I'm done with the trail. And the next day, it was like 104 degrees. The humidity was like 90%. And I got to the top of this mountain and I literally stripped off all my clothes except for my underwear. And I hiked down this mountain. I literally thought I was about to have heat stroke. And I started, I started crying on the top of this mountain. I tried to call my dad. I was like, man, I want to get a plane ticket, you know, give me, give me out of here. And he was like, you know, you made that call. You made that call. You're out there. And I was like, you, I was like, damn it, you're right. And I sat up at the top of that mountain for a, a good minute and, you know, drank a bunch of water and, you know, kind of caught myself back up and, you know, relaxed. And when I got to the bottom of this mountain, there was, there was trail magic waiting down there with fresh hot dogs and, you know, ice cold water. And it was, it just showed you that the trail provides, you know, even at your lowest moment, you know there'll be always something to pick you back up and make you want to keep going. And that was my worst day on trail. It was in New York on some God forsaken mountain in the middle of the summer. Wow. And trail magic showing up right when you and tra- it. Exactly. It was like, it couldn't have been more, more of a perfect timing. And nobody walked up to the top of the mountain when you were, no having your moment in your underwear <laughs> no. thank god thank god <laughs> that would have been uh, a sight to see yeah that would have been bad that would have been real bad when you were experiencing those low moments whether it was that one or at any other point on the trail what what would you tell yourself how would you get past those mentally very challenging times this is what i heard i heard this the second day on trail um or actually the first day on trail really i heard this old gentleman that was that was section hiking he told me, and he told a bunch of other people this too, in this group that we were hiking. And he goes, "You're living, you're living a lot of people's dreams. You know, take advantage of this. Um, don't take it for granted. You know, you're living a lot of people's dreams that not a lot of people ever get to do this in their lifetime, let alone at age 20. You know, um, that's what I always, that's what I always told myself in these low moments is that I'm living somebody's dream and I got to live that, live that dream for the fullest, you know? And that's, that's one thing I always told myself and always, you know, had to use to pick myself back up and, you know, really put my nose to the grindstone and just keep pushing. 
Cause you know, even in those tough moments, this too shall pass, you know, it's not going to be like that forever. You know, it's, you're going to get to camp. You're going to, you know, finally relax and cook dinner and go to bed and lay down and then you'll wake up and it'll be a whole new day. But I just knew that I had to make it through those tough moments because anything tough is worth, you know, is worth struggling for because any, anything that's within, you know, huge, you know, success or huge, you know, accomplishment, you're going to have those low moments and I have those, you know, times where you really, really have to grind it out. And if you don't, then it's, you won't get those, you know, highs that you get from finishing the Appalachian Trail. You know, if you didn't have those days where it rained on you for two weeks in a row or those extreme falls, you know, and bruising your knees and cutting up your elbows, you'd never make it to Katahdin. Right. And you're not going out there because it's easy. You know that it's going to be hard and it's all about challenging yourself and, and seeing what you're capable of. Exactly. But that's profound. You heard that the second day? You're living a lot yeah. of people's dreams. That's what he said. Yeah. And that really, really hit that really hit home to me because, you know, my, I was basically living my, my father's dream. And um, and I knew there were so many more people out there in the world that wanted to do this, but never got the opportunity and I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity. So that, that really, that really, you know, stuck in my mind really, really profoundly. Yeah. That sounds like it gives you instant perspective on just what you're actually out there doing because you're yeah. right. And I'm sure a lot of people take it for granted when they're going through the really crappy and tough times, but just knowing that it's all worth it in the end and that it's an incredible experience. And some people dream of doing it in their either not able to, or they just don't get out there. That's the hardest part is, you know, finally getting out there and finally getting to Springer or finally get to Katahdin. If you're doing a southbound hike, you know, it's just, it's just getting there, you know, sometimes life gets in the way and you got to choose those certain aspects in your life of what's truly important to you. And in that moment of my life, that was extremely important to me to, you know, get out on the trail and hike that. What was the best trail magic that you experienced? And you can also tell us about the trail magic if you remember anything more after you had your your low moment on top of that mountain in new yeah york. yeah you know the trail magic at that in new york wasn't anything extraordinary it was you know the typical you know couple that lived in the area that had hiked the trail before that were you know cooking up some hot dogs and had a cooler that was probably the 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 trail magic that helped me out the most but the best trail magic i think was i'm gonna have to say it was in Pennsylvania. Me and Waterboy and Two Souls were walking across this road and this guy in this like SUV like whips in and he's like, hey guys, I love hi helping hikers out. Do you, do you guys need anything? Do you need to go into town for anything? Like there's a town like four miles down the road that has like a bunch of fast food and we're like, sure, we'll go get some fast food and come back to the trail. Like we're, we're never going to turn down a ride to go to a Wendy's or a McDonald's. So we got in this, this SUV and the guy took us to the Wendy's and I offered to buy him lunch. So he came in with us and ate and he started talking to us and he's like, you know, you know, I, I have this house and I have all these like camper trailers in my backyard. If you guys want to come over and stay the night, like I'll cook you up dinner and uh, you guys can stay in my camper trailers and just, you know, relax. And I was like, and at first, you know, when you, whenever you get an, an offer like that, you're like, what, what's this guy up to? But after we really, we, we started talking for a good hour or two in, in Wendy's and we really find out that this guy's recently is, 
his uh, wife had passed away and his kids like basically didn't talk to him anymore. So he just was looking for some company and we're like, sure, we'll come hang out with you. So we went over there that night and this guy had chickens living in his house and stuff. And it was, it was crazy, but he had these, he had these like old trailers in his backyard and we, we slept in those and had this huge bonfire and drank beers with him. And it was just, that was a good time. It's just like crazy how strangers are, strangers would just open up their house to you and let you in on their extremely personal lives, which was really nice. Cause you know, as much as meeting the people on trail was awesome, the people off trail, it gave you like a sense of like, there's not really as many awful people as you think there is in this world. Like there's still a lot of good people. I think that's what trail magic taught me the most was, you know, there's still good people that want to give to and open up to people. And they're not just all, you know, just selfish people in this world. Totally. I'm still amazed by trail angels just because they go out there and they're doing these acts of kindness with, they don't want anything in return. They're just doing it because they love helping you out. That was just so amazing to see that, you know, firsthand. I mean, that's just, I guess, ingrained in you from living in, you know, the normal world. You know, don't trust anybody. Like, everybody's out to get you and stuff like that. And there's always bad stuff going on in the news. And you don't, you know, give people the benefit of the doubt most of the time. And it's good that you had the time to sit and talk over that meal to, like, figure out what this guy was about. But ended up being the best trail magic that you experienced so that's awesome and it's great that you guys were able to be there for this guy whose wife recently passed away like that's that's all yeah it's all about perspective too because you're learning that what do all these people that you don't know what are they going through everybody's going through something you know you just gotta you know you can't you can't think that everybody's just mean or anything like that or you gotta really talk to them and and listen to them and you'll find out a lot more than just you know what you see just from you know, a couple minutes of being around somebody. And how clean were those trailers? Uh, um, actually, the one that we stayed in was pretty nice. It didn't have any air conditioning, and it was it was pretty hot, but it was actually pretty nice. There was there was a couple that were that were pretty rough, and he was like, "I won't I won't let you sleep in the rough ones. Like that's where my dogs sleep." And I was like, "I, I appreciate it." You know, he he, gave, he pulled out his really nice one for us, so I I felt I felt honored in a way. And then he also uh, took us out to lunch the next day before he took us to trail before he took us back to the trail. And we had lunch with a bunch of his like vet buddies that were um, also I guess he was a uh, a uh, Vietnam vet. And he had a he had like a whole group of buddies that he went to Vietnam with that he would go to lunch with. And we went and had lunch with all these other guys. And it was it was pretty cool. That's awesome. So you you guys must have gotten a good amount of miles done that day before he invited you guys, uh, honestly, honestly, probably not. I'm pretty sure we just like left the shelter and we were like two miles into our day. We'd always just like, we, I did the math after we, after I got done with the trail and I averaged like 10 miles a day. Like we were, we were real slow and we really, really liked our zeros and liked in like seeing town, you know, we weren't as much as we loved hiking. We knew that like, this was, this was our time. You know, these six months was whatever we wanted to do and whatever life threw at us, we were going to take it. So if some guy in an SUV picked us up and wanted to, you know, take us to Wendy's and then let us sleep in his trailers in his backyard, we were going to take that. And, uh, so yeah, we were probably only like two or three miles in, in the day. And we were just like, yeah, let's do it. Like, this is going to be cool. 
Yeah, hike your own hike. That's great that you're just open to that because you do. You just have to ride the wave sometimes when, like, that's what you're out there for. Yeah, I found that on very early. Like, people that tried to control, you know, their hike so much, they had to be in this town by this date or they had to be done by this date and they had to do this many miles. Ultimately, they blew out and, you know, they were always alone or they were, you know, or they just quit because they just had so much stress on themselves. A lot of people do it, you know, really scheduled like that. And that's how people live their lives and have to live. But personally for like me and Waterboy and Two Souls, we were not like that at all. We were just, we were just down to ride the wave. And if we felt like doing a big mile day, we'd do a big mile day. But, you know, if we found a nice spot to hang out in the middle of the day, we'd, we'd we take a two hour nap and have lunch and just chill out and uh, just enjoy the view. It's the last one to Katahdin wins, we'd always say. What was your favorite view aside from Mount Liberty, if you would consider that yours? Yeah, my favorite view, I would have to say um, Baxter State Park. When you get into Baxter State Park, it's just absolutely like Maine just changes dramatically in scenery. It seems like as soon as you get into Baxter, you almost seem like you're in this whole other world. And when we got into Baxter, the sun was just starting to go down and we did that 10 miles and it was just amazing. It was just the best 10 miles ever. It was extremely smooth, you know, just coming out of the 100 mile wilderness into Baxter. The the, the trails were super smooth and um, there was this beautiful river that was going through there. And we came, I remember vividly, there was this pond to the left that, you know, you'd go down this little hill and there was like these canoes. And at this pond, there was these like three massive peaks. And to the right was Mount Katahdin. And that was probably one of my favorite views. And unfortunately, we were, we were slack packing that 10 miles to Katahdin streams and I didn't bring my camera. And I, all I had was my phone. And all I have is some like kind of crappy iPhone photo of that view. And that that's just like, it always, it always bugs me that I didn't have my camera. I was so almost kind of had regret that I didn't bring my camera on that slack pack. I just wanted to get this 10 miles done and, you know, get to camp. And then in the morning we were going to, you know, finish the trail ultimately and, you know, summit Katahdin. And that's all I really cared about. But if I could have gone back, I would have brought my camera and that would have been the view that I would have loved to photograph. But, you know, everything happens for a reason. And I'll definitely be back at Baxter one day and uh, taking a bunch of photos and spending spending a good week or so there. So you brought your camera. Did you feel like you documented enough of it along the way? Like, did it hinder your trip trying to get good pictures? Yeah. So I was so I brought two cameras. Um I carried a digital camera, like a little, um, for anybody that's familiar with cameras, I carried a Fuji X100S, which is kind of like a point and shoot camera. It's a little lightweight camera. I wasn't going to bring a big, you know, bulky DSLR with me, but I also brought that. And then I brought a 35 millimeter film camera that I've had for quite a number of years. And I shot a lot of film out on the trail. Like I shot a lot of 35 millimeter stills, which I loved shooting film out on the trail way more than digital. But yeah, I brought two cameras with me and I had this massive chest pack on my chest, on my sternum strap. And that's probably why I was tripping and rolling my ankle all the time because I could barely see my feet. <laughs> and now what would you do with your, your film that you shot? Did you just carry it on your person or did you send it back? So yeah, I would carry, I would carry about four to five rolls at a time. And whenever I'd get into a town, I just mail them back home. 
And then once I got back home, I'd send them out to a lab to get them uh, developed and everything like that. Whenever I wanted more, I would just order them on Amazon and have them shipped to the next town at a post office or something like that. And uh, that's how I got my film, basically. What was your favorite town? I'd have to say Franklin. Franklin, North Carolina was was one of my favorite towns. We got there um, on St. Patrick's Day, and we partied hard in St. Patrick's Day. And we partied with Baltimore Jack. Which was, which last year was the year he passed away, so that was that was a truly uh, amazing experience, you know, hanging around Baltimore Jack because he was working at the uh, Ron Havens Budget Inn when we went through there, and I remember we stayed two days in in Franklin, and and one the first night we stayed there, me and two souls sat around with Baltimore Jack till like midnight or one o'clock, just talking about life and talking about the trail and listen to him, you know, give us his experiences, you know, from eight consecutive through hikes. And it was just incredible to listen to. So I would have to say Franklin was definitely my, my most favorite town. Do you remember anything substantial that Baltimore Jack said that you would like to bestow on this audience? He always said, if you, you get up early, you own the day. But if you'd ever get up late on trail, the trip, the day owned you. I remember him saying that vividly to me and that still resonates just in life in general. You know, you get up early in, in the morning and you own the day. You have so much time to, you know, get things done and clear your list and, you know, do everything you need to get done. But if you wake up at noon and then you feel rushed and, and you have to do all these things and, you know, that's not how you got to live your life. You got to wake up early and just take it easy and just do one thing at a time. And that was probably the most I know it's nothing like incredible, but that was one piece of advice he gave us that that I really, truly remember vividly. That's great advice. It's simple, but very impactful because it's very true. Do you remember the best place that you ate in town? The Catawba Buffet. It's at whenever you get to the Four Pines Hostel, they, they have a shuttle that takes you there. It's like what Cracker Barrel wants to be. It's just this beautiful, like old house old plantation house in Virginia that just serves buffet like turkey and mashed potatoes and biscuits. And it was just absolutely phenomenal. We did like a 20 mile day there. And we like, as soon as we hit the road to where you have to like walk the road up to four pines hostel, it just downpoured on us. And we were extremely close to missing that shuttle. And I remember just like running down that road in the pouring rain, like trying to get to that shuttle. And as soon as we got to that hostel, I stripped down all my clothes and put on fresh, you know, well, relatively fresh clothes, dry clothes, and got in that van and went to that buffet. And it was everything I could ever imagine. I still dream about it from time to time. <laughs> I think I know what you're talking about. It's not like a buffet where you go and no, serve yourself. No. You just order like a lot of food. Is that home place? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's like that big house kind of in the middle of this field. It's almost kind of fancy in a way. Like I felt very like, oh, geez, like people are kind of dressed up here. And like, yeah, they just keep bringing you food. Like they keep bringing you like plates of turkey and mashed potatoes. And you're just like, yes, I need all of this. (laughs) Yeah, I remember looking around and, and feeling really out of place. And then, you know, then you see a couple tables in the back, like filled with hikers that had just stuffed themselves. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They had like a little hiker section where they'd make sure that, you know, not a lot of people could see them. <laughs> or smell them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you said you brought two cameras. Did you carry any other unique items with you? 
Yeah. Um, so I didn't start with this, but I actually, I got one, um, during trail days I had seen, I had seen like a few people with Nalgene's and I'd always be an, I'm always an avid carrier of, of a Nalgene. And I knew I wasn't going to carry one on the trail. I was like, it's too heavy. I don't need that. But there was, I'm, I'm also like a, a sticker condensor and I love, love getting stickers from like cool spots and like cool looking stickers and stuff like that. And I got this Nalgene at trail days because, you know, they were giving away a bunch of stickers and stuff like that. And I was like, I'm getting an Nalgene. I'm going to carry one. And I carried it from all the way from Parisburg, Virginia, all the way to Katahdin. I carried a Nalgene with me. Um, I also carried like a, like a two pound tripod as well. That was about it. I just carried a tripod and Nalgene and like, I always had a love hate relationship with camp shoes. And, um, you know, I'd had like, I had like five pairs of camp shoes before I realized that camp shoes were not for me and I never got another pair. Those were the two unique items that, that added weight that I really didn't need to carry, but they definitely, every time I look at that Nalgene now, it has all these stickers from each place that I was at. And it just, I'll always have that Nalgene. Like I'm never going to throw that away, even if it's kind of gross, but I watch it out like all the time. So it's really not, not bad. Just the outside just got all these dings and scratches and it just tells a story. And um, that's what I like most about it. How often did you use that tripod? Um, almost every night I would do, you know, every clear, clear night, I would do a lot of uh, night photography where I'd shoot the Milky Way or um, I'd shoot like running streams that I'd come across. But I tried to use it almost every day. You know, I was I was carrying this thing, so I was going to put it to good use. That was my logic behind it. Um, so I tried to use it as every day as much as I could. I had to make sure that I used it at least once a day or at least, you know, a couple times a week and, you know, really used it to its its potential, you know. I wasn't just lugging this thing for no reason. Did you get any cool night shots or do any time lapses or anything like that? Yeah, yeah. I did a lot of uh, like long exposures of the Milky Way and stuff like that. Um, I did a lot, a lot in um, New Hampshire and Maine because it was just so, so dark then. And the I just had so many consecutive like clear nights in New Hampshire and Maine. And especially in the White Mountains, that's pr- probably where I shot probably some of my best night photos that I could remember. Do you feel like you learned any lessons in photography while you're on the trail? Yes. You have to be extremely patient. You know, you may want to capture these beautiful sunrises and these beautiful sunsets and you'll wake up, you know, way before the sunrise and, you know, climb up this mountain expecting a beautiful sunrise and you may not get it. You know, you may just get, you know, completely sucked in, you know, when you wake up, just below the summit it may be you know clear and you know the sun may start to be peeking out but by the time you get to that summit it's just completely sucked in on a cloud and there's nothing you can do you just you just got to be extremely patient and let let whatever the earth and whatever the planet wants to give you um give you so you just got to be at the right it's all about timing and about that perfect moment and uh it'll come to you being a photographer is looking for, you know, those beautiful scenes. You can't look for them too hard. They got to come to you in a way. So that's, that's something that I, I learned extremely quickly. Did you feel like you were truly able to capture 
the essence of the trail by the photos that you took? Um, I do. I felt like I, I did a decent job, you know, I'm, I'm my own worst critic. So I'm, you know, of course I'm going to be extremely skeptical, but I just look back at those photos and I see, you know, what I could improve on, what, what I could do more of. And I think it was, I captured it exactly how I wanted to capture it. The only thing I wish I did a little bit more was take a little bit more video, but, um, and that was just something I, I had never dabbled in before, but now I have. On my next hike, I'll definitely be doing a lot more video and interviewing people and, you know, taking a lot, a lot more photos of just, you know, random hikers and strangers along the way. Um, that was something I wish I did more of, like, wish I would have took more photos of trail magic instead, you know. But I just, I just use that as a lesson, and from now on, I just subconsciously put that in the back of my mind it's like hey shoot a photo of this guy even if you talk to him for maybe five minutes you know shoot a photo of him ask if you can take his photo or something like that do you remember a time when you experienced extreme weather conditions uh yeah uh we were in i don't know exactly where in tennessee but we were in tennessee and we knew it was going to be bad weather that night it was you know it was going to be you know extremely cold and rainy so we knew that was not that was not a good combo so we made sure we got to this shelter super quick. And of course, we were in the midst of the bubble at this time. And we got to this shelter that only fit like four people, like five people. And it was completely packed full of people. And there's people with tents all over the place. So I immediately like set up my tent. And as soon as I got my tent set up and we started cooking dinner outside, we thought it was the, the weather was going to blow over us. It started raining. So we went into our tent and we were like, what the heck? And it was like, it was like three o'clock in the afternoon at this point. And we were doing, you know, lower miles at this point. We weren't, you know, crushing miles or anything like that. It finally quit raining. We came outside, it started sleeting and snowing. And then we went back in, into our tents and then the sun came out. We had like four different seasons in, in a, in, in a, in like a two hour span of time. And it was just absolutely ridiculous. We were so frustrated. We just wanted to be outside and cook our meal and just like hang around everybody. That was, that was a, that was a pretty brutal night. Also, um, the night we left the NOC, the, the day we got to the NOC, they said that it was supposed to snow and be like 10 degrees that night. So we're like, all right, we're staying here at this little like hostel bunkhouse they have. And it ended up being pretty nice that night. It rained a little bit late at night, but we were like, okay, that, there wasn't anything that terrible. So we started climbing out of the NOC and that climb out of the NOC is just brutal. And we got to the shelter, the next shelter out of the NOC and set up our camp. And that night it got down to 10 degrees, I remember. And I have never been so cold in my life. I had a 10 degree bag with all my clothes on, my wind wind and rain gear. Like I had socks over my hands. I was just like completely cocooned in my sleeping bag and I was still freezing. Those were the two nights where it was just like brutal weather. What were the hardest obstacles out there on the trail day to day? Day to day was myself and my mind, honestly, like, you know, having to get up every morning, pack up your tent. If it rained that night, it was even worse because you had to pack up a wet tent and then you had to find some place where you could potentially dry it out. Getting water was always a, always a challenge, but I believe it was like my mental, you're, you're kind of doing the same almost routine every day, you know, getting up, hiking 15 to 20 miles, you know, in this green tunnel, 
where, you know, that can be pretty daunting on a lot of people where you just had to keep your, keep your head up. And if you got the, and if you didn't see any great views within those 20 miles, like try to find something else that was like awesome. You had to find the, the beauty and like the small things or you were going to just go crazy. If you were thinking you were going to see something amazing every day, that was my biggest struggle personally was just keeping my mental and staying focused on the, on the, on the prize of I'm out here living somebody's dream. And you know, you got to enjoy every waking second of it. Yeah. You do realize that you go out there with the expectation of just being blown away by these views like every day. Cause you're going to be in the great outdoors, but a lot of the trail does look the same and there's few and far between times that you are like truly blown away when you get to the top of the mountain and there's like an appropriate clearing that gives you an incredible view. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Do you remember what your toughest climb was? I'm going to have to say, I remember my first extremely tough climb that was just like blew me out of like the water. I didn't even think of it. I didn't even think about it at all when like I saw it on on my on my you know my guidebook it was wildcat mountain i think it was in in georgia like that was like even though that was only like a half a mile climb like that was just the most brutal climb i remember and after that like honestly anything pretty much the entire state of new hampshire and maine was just absolutely difficult just nothing but hand over foot climbing another hard climb and in New Hampshire would probably be, um, I don't know if it was, it's not a climb, but descending down Madison, Mount Madison is just unreal. And that just was like extremely tough on me. Yeah, that's true. Sometimes going down is actually harder than going up. (laughs) Yeah. Who was the most interesting person you met on your hike? I met this guy. He was an older gentleman. I didn't meet him until the day I got on my bus to go home to Bangor International Airport, um, and me and him actually started the same day. He was about 70 years old, and I just remember, like, this guy was just nothing but smiles. Like, he was the most, like, outgoing person I ever remember in my life. Like, for 70 years old, he had this massive white beard. He was he looked real skinny. Like, you could tell, like, the, the trail had really, like, beating him up a little bit but he just had nothing but smiles he was he was an incredible person uh there were so many people that i met on that trail that were just that blew me out of the water but he was the first he's the first one that comes to my mind it was just this old man that was just you know me and him started on the same day and felt like i was doing big mile days but he just told me that he was doing like he never did more than like 15 miles a day he was just consecutive his name was uh Tinker, that was his trail name, was Tinker. And I actually took a portrait of him. And uh, it's one of my favorite photos, one of my personal favorite photos that I took on trail that, that I'll remember for a really, really long time. That's unbelievable that you, you meet this guy who started the same day after you guys both completed. Yeah, I never saw him once on the trail. Because I'm sure there's people that you bumped into multiple times along the way just leapfrogging one another. And then this guy just like managed to dodge you that whole entire time. Yeah, the first time I saw him, he was coming down Katahdin when I was going up. And I didn't really say anything to him. I was just like, how was it, man? Congratulations. Like, I was just telling everybody congratulations on that day that I was passing, that I knew that was like a through hiker. And, and, but when we got on the bus, I sat kind of close to him and we started talking. And I took his photo in front of this gas station. And 
in, in nowhere, Maine. And, um, that was one of my favorite photos and one of my favorite persons I, I met on trail. What day did you finish? Uh, I finished September 21st, 2016. How many days were you out there? Do you know? 201 days. And you said you averaged around 10 miles? <laughs> yeah. After I came home and did the math, that's, that's what I averaged. Do you remember what the biggest day was, the most miles that you did? Yeah, we, we did a 33-mile day, and we did that into Marion, Virginia. From, and we started somewhere in the middle of the Grayson Highlands. That was a wild day. That was a incredible but it's extremely challenging day. Did you finish at Partnership or, or further than that? Yeah, it was Partnership, the really nice shelter that was that you could order pizza at. Yeah. Yeah, we actually finished there. We got there at like one in the morning and we got to that like little like it was like a visitor center or something. Yeah. And we luckily one of us had enough reception and we called this random taxi service that was in town that was open still and we fit seven hikers in this little Crown Vic, you know, taxi cab. We were all bound and determined to get to get into town and get some like good food. And we scarfed down McDonald's that night. I remember that vividly. I was almost delusional by the end of that night. Wait, so you hailed a cab at 1am in the morning? Yeah. Yeah. And there was a McDonald's open, I guess, 24 hours. Yeah. And, and then, then we got a, and then we got a hotel room that night as well. There was someone there to give you a hotel. Room yeah. Late? Yeah. It was incredible. Like we called this hotel and we're like, is somebody there, please? Like, we called, like, four different hotels, and there was luckily somebody there still working. What was the best trail name that you heard for another person? Uh, it was actually, um, it wasn't even a person's name. It was a dog's name, and it was Licky Minaj. And I thought that was absolutely hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, like, the best thing I had ever heard. And, like, I laughed for, like, months after that. After I heard that dog's name, I was like, Oh my God, that's the best thing I've ever heard. Did you listen to anything while you were hiking? I started listening to music pretty pretty early on. Um, I really, really did not like listening to myself be out of breath 90% of the day. Um, and I felt like that almost slowed me down was being able to hear myself out of breath. So I listened to a lot of music and then I honestly got super annoyed with pretty much every type of music. And so I started listening to podcasts, and uh, I just listened to like a bunch of different podcasts. I listened to this podcast called Stuff You Should Know that just told random like stories of like about America and like history and stuff like that. And then I also listened to a couple other, um, like I listened to the Appalachian Trials, uh, Pox and Puss podcast, um, and then just a lot of like really uh, spiritual ones, like listening to like, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson talk about like the universe and whatever like that, like a bunch of interviews with him and, uh, just any, I was super fascinated in listening to like history stuff and like stories more than just like interviews with athletes or anything like that. Right. Yeah. It's important that whatever you're listening to consumes you and really gauges your attention because then the miles start coming on really easy. Yeah, exactly. And I would just zone out and just be really into the into the podcast and be like, Oh man, like that podcast was two and a half hours long. I'm already like, I'm already like five and a half, six miles done. Like that's awesome. Like, cool. I didn't even realize that. 
And when you were listening to music, what kind of music would you listen to? Um, it was a variation of literally everything. I would listen to like um, a lot of punk music, and then I'd listen to a lot of like I listened to some country, and then I listened to a lot of like bluegrass and like a lot of like upbeat stuff. So like uh, I listened to a lot of like electronic music. Like for those uphills, like that's what got me. A lot of rap music, a lot of like old school rap, and just like a lot of just pretty much everything you could think of. I had at least one song, Lady Gaga, like just anything you could think of, pretty much anything that got me kind of fired up or like made me feel good when I listened to it, I, I downloaded it and like it was on my phone. So it was like maybe I, th- I remember vividly I had this Hillary Duff song. And it was just like, whenever that came on, I was just like, yes, here we go. About to crush this mountain. <laughs> and even though it was like a Hillary Duff song, it just like got me extremely like hyped up and just ready to, you know, take on this mountain or whatever tough section I had to go through. What was your diet like? Can you walk us through your breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Okay. So in the mornings when I first started, I really didn't eat that much breakfast. Like I, I'm, I was never like a huge breakfast eating person, but that quickly changed. I started getting like more of a routine diet towards the end of the trail. Like in, I remember throughout like, uh, like all the way until like pretty much like Pennsylvania, just like whatever I had to eat, I'd eat. Like I didn't really know what I was doing that much with food planning, but. By the time I got into Pennsylvania, it was in the morning. I would have a bagel with strawberry cream cheese. I would tear off string cheese, put that on top, and then I'd have coffee. And then after that, I would have, like, before, you know, breakfast and lunch, I'd have, um, like, a Gatorade energy bar and, like, some, like, uh, Gatorade, like, water mix and then for lunch i would have a lot of like summer sausage uh like salt and vinegar chips and cheese and then for dinner it was like i had like uh a family size of velveta cheese like shells and cheese with like the rest of my salt and vinegar chips uh like an electrolyte mix and uh like a chocolate bar for, for dessert. And then I would get up and then I would like before bed, like right before I get in my tent, I would have like some gummies, some like gummy bears or gummy worms. I always had gummies on me no matter what. So I'd have like a handful of gummies and then, uh, like chug a ton of water before I go to bed. Then I'd have to wake up multiple times in the middle of the night to have to go to the bathroom, but it was totally worth it. Did you do bounce boxes or would you just uh, re-up when you went into town at the grocery store? So I did a few bounce boxes. Um, I started with like one that I was going to like really, you know, use personal that had like contact solution, an extra roll of toilet paper. And like that just got kind of like ridiculous. I, I wasn't in, into that. So that, that kind of died out quickly. And then I'd also like tell my friends and family to like mail me out food and like so I got a few boxes of like some food that my family sent out to me probably, probably 15, like a dozen to 15 boxes throughout the trail that I got from my friends and family. But for the most part, I just resupplied in, t- in town and, uh, that's how I'd get my food. 
I would always try to, we always tried to break up like sections into um, like three to four days, no more than five. But of course, you know, through the hundred mile wilderness, we, we carried a lot more food, but it was always like three to three to five days worth of food. And how was your hygiene? Um, we showered quite a bit cause you know, we, we took, we took quite a bit of zeros. So I definitely say that I showered, you know, pretty, pretty regularly. Maybe, I mean, when I say regularly, I mean, in through hiker terms, probably once or maybe like one to three times every two weeks, if I was lucky. And then, you know, I would brush my teeth, you know, three times a day and and I'd made sure that I always floss because I knew I was just eating this junk food and a lot of sugar and that was just going to like decay my teeth. And I didn't want to come home and have to get a bunch of cavities filled. So I made sure that I really, really like um, kept up on my like oral hygiene. For the most part, I was pretty stinky and dirty a lot of the time, but my mouth was always smelling minty fresh. How disconnected from society were you? I'd have to say I was, I was pretty disconnected. The only time I would ever like see anything was, you know, for the couple hours or like the day or so that I was in town and on social media and whatnot. And I honestly really didn't even like looking at that. The only thing, the only reason I get on that is to post photos or like update, you know, um, on social media. But I, I rare, I didn't really like scrolling through my newsfeed and like, looking to see what was going on in the current events. Cause, um, I just wasn't interested in that. I didn't, I didn't have any care in the world. And, uh, I was just really focused on what was going on in, in the now, instead of like trying to focus on what was going on in the outside world. Did you journal? Um, I, I took a journal, um, when I started and I journaled for, um, I journaled for about the first two weeks and I became a blogger for the, tr- for Appalachian trials, which is now the Trek. And I started, I wrote one, I wrote a couple blogs for them before I left. And then I wrote one blog for them when I was on the trail and that quickly went to the wayside. Cause during, when I was in town, the last thing I really wanted to do was be on my phone. I had so much things that I had to do. I had to go resupply, do laundry, you know, take a shower, everything like that, go get food. So that quickly went to the wayside. The only time I ever wrote was when I posted photos. I would, I would like to tell, you know, I would like to, you know, put a paragraph or two with each photo that I posted and tell a little short story that went along with the photo. Um, but for the last week on trail, when I started the hundred mile wilderness, I made sure that I wrote what vividly what happened each day. Um, and I did that in my notes on my phone. I didn't even have like an actual journal. Um, but I wrote, you know, four to five paragraphs each night of what happened, how I was feeling, um, you know, everything like that. And, um, I'm so glad I did that. Looking back on it, I, I kind of wish I, I would have done that for the entire trail, but I just didn't. So I think in the next trail that I do, I definitely will be writing a whole lot more even if it's just, you know, jotting down a few things in my notes in my phone, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily be a paragraph or two. It can just be, you know, like bullet points of like cool things that I saw or people that I met or anything like that. What's a good trail story that you tell your friends and family now? Um, 
So in Maine, in the Hundred Mile Wilderness, um, I had bought my plane ticket in Monson. And when I bought my plane ticket, I had I had five days to finish the trail. So we had to really crush miles. We had to do at least 25 miles a day through the hundred mile wilderness to, you know, make it in time. When I started this, you know, it was, it was just insane. Like we were like, we got to do 25 miles each day. Like this is ridiculous. We were hiking late into the night because by the time we were in Maine, it was like September and you know, the sun was going down at, you know, six o'clock. And so we didn't have that much daylight to hike with. And I remember this, we got to the shelter when the sun was going down and we started cooking dinner to do the last 10 miles of our day. And, um, we, we ate dinner and we started going up the last three mountains. It was, I remember the last one was white cap and I don't remember the two in front of those. I don't remember the two mountain names right in, right off the top of my head, but we started climbing and it got really dark and this, it was me, Waterboy, and Pocahontas and Waterboy was, probably a good 10 minutes in front of me. Pocahontas was a good 10 minutes behind me. And this was the first time I'd really night hiked by myself, you know, like really not been able to see anybody in front of me or behind me. And it was really eerie. Like it was, it was pretty scary. Like I was, I was kind of on edge and like, you know, you're out, you're out in the middle of the hundred mile wilderness by yourself at night. Like it was, it was pretty, pretty scary. So I remember I got to this, we got over the first in the second mountain and we were going down the second mountain into like the valley in between the second mountain and white cap. And I remember going down this like ladder thing and I remember seeing water boy running back at me and I was like, that's not good. Like he's normally never coming back at me. And he's like, dude, dude, there's a bear up here. Like it just ran in front of me and scared the hell out of me. And I was like, okay, like, we've seen bears before. They're normally, you know, they're pretty, they're pretty easy to scare off. If there's a big crowd of us, like for the most part, it's just going to run away if it's not gone already. So we go up to like this open field. And I remember it was a full night. The moon was out and it was just like, if you remember that scene in Jurassic park two, where the Raptors are like following that crew of people through that really tall grass. And you can just see their tails at the top. Like, this is exactly what this reminded me of. And I remember getting behind, like, going around this little bin, and I remember seeing these eyes in the distance just beaming back at me. And we started yelling and hitting our trekking poles together, and this this thing, this animal, was not moving. It was about the same height as a bear, but it was it, it just wasn't a bear. You could tell by, you know, just the eyes alone. I, I vividly know that, like, bear eyes are, like, round marbles, but this was almost more of like a squinted eye kind of deal. And I told Waterboy, I was like, dude, this isn't, this isn't a bear. This is like a, this is like something else. I don't know what this is. And so Pocahontas finally came up behind us and we're yelling at this thing still. I'm throwing rocks at it and the thing's not budging. And we finally, we finally get, we start, you know, kind of approaching it all as together with our headlights on it. And this thing, kind of moves sideways and we see its side profile and my light shines on it. And it was that distinctive like tan color of a mountain lion. And it was, it was a mountain lion. And this thing was not giving up by like looking at us. He was more curious about us than we were of it. And 
we finally, you know, it's, it, it went off trail. It went down off the trail and went up towards white cap started going North off trail, but it kind of dipped down into the woods. So we're like, all right, we're going to all walk together and just, you know, make a lot of noise and not, and not really, uh, and not really try to get this thing, you know, able to sneak up on us. Cause we know, like I knew from, you know, being out in California that like, they tell you that, you know, mountain lions will stalk you for like hours and they'll just, they normally attack their prey from behind. So I was like, I ain't letting this happen to us. So I would put like, I put two of my iPhone flashlights in my back of like my mesh pocket. So they looked like eyes to like freak them out. So they'd always like think that somebody was looking at them. And about two miles later, I look over to the left and probably not even, not even 25 feet away off the trail, that mountain lion is just sitting in the woods. And I see this thing vividly and we're just like, dude, keep going. Don't stop. Don't change your pace. Just keep going. And we start heading up white cap and we got up on white cap at like, it had to been like almost midnight and the wind was blowing at least like 40, 50, 60 miles per hour. I don't even know, but it was pushing over Pocahontas and like, it was real tough to walk in, in that wind. And, um, that was probably the only thing that deteriorated that cat from keep following us was that extreme like wind on top of that big bald mountain of white cap. And we finally got down off white cap and got to the shelter and set up our tent and, and we just went to bed. And that was one of the, that was one of the most, that was one of the nights where I like actually kind of feared for my life. That's wild. I didn't come across any mountain lions. Yeah. Luckily and we, and we didn't even think there were any mountain lions there. We asked a few locals once we got to like a ball bridge and there's like, they were telling us like, you know, there's only like five or six mountain lions in the entire state and they have them tracked and like, they know where they're at. And, and one of them, they've heard that a few hikers had seen, you know, a mountain lion in the hundred mile wilderness. And we happened to just run across this thing and it was terrifying. Did you have any other wildlife encounters along the way? Yeah, we had some bear experiences in Virginia and the Blue Ridge where I remember it was just before we hit Glasgow, Virginia, where there's that big dinosaur in the middle of the town. There was like this shelter that was closed because of bear activity. So they told you to go to this other shelter that was like eight miles ahead. No, no, it was actually like three miles ahead. We got to that shelter and they said that that one was closed because of bear activity. And they told us this campsite we could go to that was another four miles ahead. And this was already like eight o'clock at night by the time we got to this last shelter. You know, we've already done like 17 miles to that second shelter where they said that where there's a lot of bear activity. So we had to hike another four miles to this campsite. And by the time we got there, it was like dark and there was tons of people there. There was barely any level sites there. And I just remember setting up my tent real quick, eating, you know, cooking dinner and just eating it real quick, getting water. And then we hung a bear bag. And as soon as everybody went to bed, there was, we heard this super loud, like crashing noise. And it was this bear out there that was messing with these people's food bags and people were getting up all night, you know, just leaving. They're like, screw this. We're, we're going to leave and go to Glasgow. Like we were only like four miles away from Glasgow and people were leaving in the middle of the night and around four thirty in the morning, I remember hearing like from where our food bags were, like I could hear the noise, like hear noise and rustling in like trees and I remember like waking up two souls and being like, dude, that bear is getting our food right now. 
He's like, I don't even care. And I'm like, dude, I care. We just resupplied. Like, let's go get, let's, I don't want to get all of our food taken away. And so we like go outside and just my like underwear and my trekking poles and my headlamp. And sure enough, this bear is up in this tree. The food bags on the ground, like one of them's been slashed open. The other one's just missing. And mine luckily was like untouched. And this bear was just tor- like tormenting us all night. And we barely got any sleep that night. And it took Waterboy's entire food bag and just like ran off with it. It had his stove and like its cook kit, his cook kit, and like all of his freshly, like just recently bought food. It just took off with it and he couldn't find it and he never did. And he was, uh, he was pretty pissed off about that. I remember that. And he like was on a mission to find this bear and like he ran up this mountain, he ran up this hillside where the bear had gone and like, pretty much ran into it almost and like it freaked him out. So he just came back. He's like, screw it. I'm not messing with this bear. I'm going into Glasgow and, you know, buying more food and buying a new food bag and a cook set and everything like that. And that was a, that was another wildlife experience that, that we had. But besides that, we had, you know, just a few, we saw a few rattlesnakes here and there and some squirrels and deers and stuff like that. So you guys got a pretty good taste of the wildlife out there. Yeah. Yeah. It took us a while because from like almost like the end of Virginia, we really didn't see any bear or anything really. And then by the end of Virginia, we we saw enough bear that we didn't want to see any more for the rest of the trail. Can you remember a notable right place, right time kind of moment? Um, yeah. So in the hundred mile wilderness, this the second day in, I broke my carbon fiber trekking pole which was how I set up my tent. It needed two trekking poles to be set up and one of my trekking poles got broken. And I was like, it was in the middle of like the night. We were in the middle of like finishing up our 25 mile day and my trekking pole snapped. And I was just like, are you kidding me? I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do, man. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like we got to this shelter that night and it was like midnight and everybody was asleep. And I saw this little light on in somebody's tent and I like ran up to him and I was like, dude, can I borrow your trekking pole? Mine broke. And he, luckily this guy like let me borrow his trekking pole and I used it that night and I had to give it back to him in the morning, of course. But after that, I was like, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. I was on like the search to find like the perfect stick where I could use. I remember we got to this, we got to this like kind of this gravel forest road And there was a car there and there was this girl that had hiked the trail or was hiking the trail, but she had to get off. But she was like helping, helping. She was doing like trail magic in the hundred mile wilderness. And I remember there was this guy there that was getting a ride from like the middle of the hundred mile wilderness all the way to Katahdin streams campground. He was like, I'm done with this trail. Like I'm just finishing it. I don't care. And she was like, do you want to ride guys? We can just go to Katahdin. And we all, we were like, we were like, I remember my buddy was like thinking about it pretty heavily. And I was like, dude, we can't do that. Like we've made it this far. We're not skipping like the hundred mile wilderness to get to Katahdin. Like, come on, let's do it. Let's crush it out. And she was like, all right. And she left us and we crossed that road and dipped back into the trail. And believe it or not, there was a, there was like an old Walmart trekking pole laying up against this like tree that somebody had left. And I could not believe it. And I was like, 
it didn't even matter how crappy it was. It was like a $10, you know, Walmart trekking pole that was kind of bent, but I, I bent it back out. So it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. And it worked for the entire rest of the trail. And that was just like absolutely mind blowing to me that this trekking pole was just waiting for me. And if I would have skipped ahead, like I would have never gotten that trekking pole. And like, that was just the trail gods. I, I like to say, looking out for me, like, good job. You didn't, you didn't get in that car and skip, you know, the last 50, 60 miles of the trail just because you were a little tired. This is my gift to you. You get a trekking pole. And, uh, that was just <laughs> perfect right timing type of place. That's insane. Yeah. And there was just one. It wasn't the set. No, it was just one. And you only needed one. That's crazy. And I only needed one. And it was like, the, it was this bright neon yellow, like aluminum, super heavy, clunky trekking pole, but it worked perfectly. And I couldn't have been more excited to see that trekking pole. So overall, what do you think you took away from your hike? Overall, I took away from my hike that things happen for a reason. Um, as much as you want to control your life, um, you really can't. You know, you can plan and that's about it. You got to expect you know, plan for the worst and expect even more, more worse to even come ahead. That was, that was what I took away from this hike was, you know, everything happens for a reason. Things will go in your way. You just have to be patient. And uh, if you're going through like a rough time, just know that it'll, it'll pass and it won't be like that forever. And you just gotta, if, if it's anything, anything worth doing in your life, that's going to bring you any type of happiness or success or, anything like that, you're going to have to go through those tough moments and really put your, put your nose to the grindstone and just grind away at it and keep working at it and keep going. You know, I never, never, I, I honestly thought I would never make it to Katahdin. I was like, dude, we are just hiking and it's not getting us anywhere. And six and a half months later, I'm at Katahdin sitting on the top of that mountain, just screaming, you know, with full of joy and that's what I took away from it. If, if it's anything worth pursuing in your life, you're going to have to go through some tough times and go through some, you know, challenging moments to get to that point to where you really feel like you're on top of the world and that you really, you know, did something worthwhile. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So what's life like post-trail? Um, post-trail, it was rough for a long time. Post-trail depression is a real thing. And I went through it pretty pretty rough i came home and i had a like i thought since i was doing all this cool exciting like new things getting out of my comfort zone for some reason i thought my friends would too back at home and i came back home and my friends were just doing all the same things that they were doing since we were like in middle school and I, that really like bummed me out and i was just like man like nobody understands what I've done except for the people that have done it and like that really like bummed me out for a long time because you know I'd tell people about these amazing stories about mountain lions or snakes or bears and people would be like wow that's in that's insane but they really honestly had no idea what it was like and nobody really does unless they've done it and that goes that goes with anything really in life since since I've been off trail um all I've really wanted to do now is just hike and really make it my my passion and make it a career of mine to uh to become like a long distance photographer and a landscape photographer and and really inspire people through my artwork and my writings 
to, you know, go outside or go outside of your comfort zone and, you know, explore a little bit. There's more than just your hometown that you're grown up in. Go out and see the world. Doesn't matter if it's going on a hiking trip or going to Paris or going anywhere like that. Just go somewhere new that is completely somewhere where you're out of your element. Because that's 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 all I thrive for in life now is just being out of my element and being out of my comfort zone. When I start feeling too comfortable, I start getting kind of anxious and kind of almost sad in a way. But recently I felt like I have been getting out of this post-trail depression and really starting to enjoy as much as, as much as I'd love to be on trails every day of my life. I have to realize that that's not possible for, for my life right now. And I have to enjoy, you know, just the small things in life, you know, where I'm at right now and live in the moment and live in the now and not live in the past or live in the future about, you know, maybe I can plan this new hiking trip and that's going to bring me this type of happiness. But just instead of just living in this moment and being happy now is what I'm focusing more on than anything. With that being said, I have planned a a couple more trips, but for the most part, um, I just let those trips kind of come naturally. Like if I have open time, then I will, then I'll allow it. But, um, I don't try to, you know, push so many things out of my, out of my way or, you know, push things to the limit to where I can get to go hike if, if it's not feasible, you know, um, I recently, I recently hiked, well, I recently did a section of the long trail. I was hoping on, you know, completing a through hike. Um, but life had different plans for me. Um, I got on and 70 miles in, um, it just didn't feel right to me. I didn't feel that I had left, you know, my family and my friends in the, in the way that I wanted to. Um, I felt like I rushed, I kind of rushed and pushed everything to the side that was important, um, to go hike. And, um, I, I got a call from my family saying that my, that my grandmother's health was deteriorating rather quickly and they didn't know how many more days she had. They, they said there was only days left and she was 90 years old. And, um, I had to make the, the tough call to, to get off trail and, um, come home and, and two days after I got home, she passed away. And the day that I got home, it was the last day that she was like in her right mind. Me and her had our last conversation before she um, kind of lost it and, and uh, ended up passing away. So if, if I wouldn't have gotten off trail at that time and at that moment, who knows what would have happened. I probably would have never had the last chance to say goodbye to my grandmother. So I truly believe in things happen for a reason. So I'm starting to realize that there's more to life than just hiking, but I'm definitely trying to make photography a career of mine. So that's what I'm focusing on more than ever. I'm trying to use that mindset that I had towards my career in photography. Like, yeah, it's going to, there's going to be a lot of bad grueling times where like you may not get a whole lot of business or you may not get, you know, a whole lot of people looking at your stuff, but just keep grinding away and keep working at it. And you'll eventually get to the point where, you know, you'll be, you'll, you'll feel like you're actually succeeding and actually gaining way. That's what I'm starting to finally realize is just kind of use that same mindset as a through hike, just to actual life. 
that's kind of something that I wasn't doing for a long time because I just wanted so, so badly to relive that through hike because it was so amazing. But in reality, like I'm never going to be able to live that time again in my life. Like I was fortunate that that happened and I'm so grateful that I have those memories. But for, for now, like it's just now it's time to make more memories and time to make new, new experiences. And, um, I can't just be constantly dwelling on the past. Right. And you can only plan so much in life before, you know, it just, it just happens to you. Exactly. At a lot of points and you just have to learn how to, you know, roll with the punches and take it as it comes. Yeah. Yeah. So I would love to, uh, definitely get another through hike under my belt, maybe a couple more in my lifetime. And I'm, and I definitely want to, but just right now I'm not, I'm not trying to push anything out of my, you know, that's important in my life right now to, It'll, it'll come. I know that, but I just have to be patient instead of trying to want everything right now and right now and right now. I just got to, you know, be patient and that time will come where I get to do it once again. But, but for the most part, you know, I just go out and, and do day hikes around, around Indiana and, um, go to little, little day trips around, around the Midwest and stuff like that. And, or I'll, you know, plan a week trip out to California and go out to Yosemite or something like that. I'm just constantly, trying to keep myself in like a positive state of mind and not trying to let, you know, the past, not try to live so much in the past to thinking where that was the only time I was super happy in my life. But in, in reality, I can be just as happy every day of my life. You just have to find those things where um, you find those ha- that happiness from. And that's, that's a lot more tough than, you know, in, in real world than it is, you know, in the mountains where you're, meeting all these new exciting people and accomplishing something every day of hiking, you know, certain amount of miles each day and everything like that. So what do you think of when you look back on the trail now? Um, I think of how it's changed me for the better. It's changed me in so many ways that are unimaginable that I never thought I would, would get. And I'm extremely fortunate that I, uh, that I got to be able to, you know, through hike and, and actually complete a through hike my first time. I know many people that, you know, go out for a through hike and it takes them three or four goes before they actually fully succeed, you know, through hiking. And I just think about all the memories and all the hardships that I had to go through to figure out who I really am and um, what I'm, what's really important in my life. Would you through hike the AT again? Yeah. In a heartbeat. If I, if, and and I, I honestly, I, I would, I'd like to do it again in my lifetime. Um, you know, it, it wouldn't be the same. That's the thing about hiking. You know, it's never going to be the same exact trail. You know, if I go and hike the, another northbound through hike tomorrow, even like it would be completely different than it would be than that first time I, I did it. So, um, yeah, I would, I would hike the, I would hike the trail again. I never thought I'd say that when I was on trail. I was like, I'm never hiking this trail again. Like this is, this is, I am, this is ridiculous, but yeah, I'd, I'd hike that trail again in a heartbeat. And you said, do you have some future hikes planned? Do you have any other through hikes that you yeah, yeah. would like to do? Yeah. Um, next year I'm definitely planning on finishing up the long trail through hike. And then, um, I'd like to be, I'd like to Pacific, I'd like to do the Pacific crest trail next year. I'm not a hundred percent sure if, if that's going to be, you know, an option for me. Um, 
but I would like to, you know, do long trail continent or a Colorado trail. I'd love to be a triple crowner in my lifetime. I think that would be incredible, you know, hike the Pacific crest and the continental divide trail and get that triple crown recognition, I think would be really cool. You know, that's not something that I hike for is for recognition, but being part of that, that group would be, would be pretty, pretty humbling in my, my opinion. All right. That wraps up all the trail questions. Now it's time to get into some gear. Uh, we'll start with your backpack. My backpack, I carried a Osprey Exos 58 liter. I was actually, all my gear that I had gotten, I was part of the Through Hike Syndicate ambassador program. So um, I was sponsored and I was a brand ambassador for Osprey, um, Vask Footwear, um, Lecky Trekking Poles, Darn Tough Socks, and um, and Life Proof like phone cases. That was a pretty cool um, deal that I that I was fortunate enough to receive. And how did you manage that? Um, it was actually funny. I was in a Wendy's parking lot before, like, like in February before I left on the trail. And I remember on Facebook it was like, "Apply now to be a Through Hike Syndicate ambassador." And like, I read it and I was like, I saw it on Facebook and I was like, okay, <laughs> like I'll do this. And it was like 10 o'clock at night. And I had till midnight that night to like finish it and send it in because that was the deadline. Like it had been open for like two and a half weeks prior, but I saw it on like the last night, the last two hours. And I went home super fast and I wrote up this big thing. I basically had to apply for it like a job. And I told them like, Hey, I'm a photographer and I can, and I can, uh, and I can take like photos of all your gear out and, you know, out in the, out in its, you know, true elements. And I was fortunate enough to get chosen to, um, represent them. That was a pretty cool experience. That's awesome. So did that end up saving you some money? Did you get actually free gear? Yeah, I got a lot of free gear. Um, I actually had all my gear already bought, but I was getting like way better gear from them so i was just taking it back to rei and getting my money back and i was like awesome dude like i got all this like really nice gear and for free and like yeah, i was fortunate enough to get that and take back some of the gear that i had bought and i'd bought in some like bigger piece bigger bigger pieces of gear for um the trail like my backpack and uh sleeping pad and everything like that so i got to you know take that home and or take that back and get some money and for my for my through hike. That's awesome. You definitely lucked out on that. Yeah. Um, and footwear? Uh, I wore Vask Inhaler twos. They were like the low cut ones. They had like a a mid boot and then they had like a a lower version. And that's what I wore the entire time. I went through like four pairs of those. Trekking poles? Uh, I had Lecky uh, carbon. Poles. I don't know exactly the exact model, but um, those were the the trekking poles that I had. Tent. I started off with a with a Nemo uh, Hornet one person, but I'm I'm six three, and that tent was extremely small for me. So I actually switched over to a Lightheart Gear So Long Six, which I actually became a ambassador for them as well. Um, just by my photographs and taking photos of their tent out on the trail. And they sent me a, a, a couple of tents, actually. So just from, like, 
tagging them and hashtagging yeah they found your photos yeah and i and they started using them for their catalogs and their advertising and stuff like that and then they they were like hey we got this new model of this tent we've done you know a couple more updates on it like we'd love to send you out a tent so you, we can get like the most current up-to-date photos of our our newest products on trail and i was like awesome yeah go ahead like i'd love to represent your company and take photos for your company of your awesome products that i love that's awesome is that relationship ongoing like are you are they maybe going to give you business um yeah yeah i mean they they you know i and we basically trade services so they give me a tent and i give them photos you know um for the most part but as as much as you know i'm not hiking as as i'd like to be right now you know i can't give them photos as much right now but and they understand that they know you can't be through hiking all the time and, you know, capturing their tents in these amazing places. But whenever I go on little camping trips, I make sure to, you know, take a photo of, of their tent and tag them and whatnot. That's cool. That's really nice how that relationship ended up kind of organically happening just from you posting. So yeah, exactly. A sleeping bag. Uh, I had a Nemo 10 degree, like sleeping bag, sleeping pad. I started off with Nemo and then I went through two of them and I switched over to a Thermarest and I haven't looked out back ever since. I have a Thermarest Neo Air X-Lite. I have like the long edition since I'm 6'3 and it's like the most comfortable thing in the world. <laughs> and stove and pot? Um, I had an MSR like kettle, the kettle pot, which is like a thing it carry. I think it's like 500 milliliters or seven like i think it's actually 800 milliliters and then i had the msr pocket rocket any other gear that you can think of that you'd recommend or anything like that yeah getting one of those like inflatable seat pads from thermarest are awesome they're almost like the neo airs but they're inflatable and they're like extremely comfortable and i actually found out this like little like through hiker hack as if you right on it like hiker to trail on one side and then hiker to town you can use that as a sign when you hitchhike and that helped us a lot to get rides um that's one little piece of gear that i that i like absolutely loved all right do you have any favorite quotes that you'd like to enlighten the audience with pretty much anything john muir said or henry david thoreau um <laughs> i don't know any off the top of my head um unfortunately but yeah those are like those those people are like the most influential that i look up to in my life like they're just so full of like wisdom and they connect you know the human experience and nature and anything like that just <laughs> unfortunately i don't have any like quotes off the top of my head that i can think of right now no it's all good i know that john Muir and thoreau both have a lot of gold yeah quotes sprinkled around there yeah. so people can look them up or or read their works yeah uh do you have any books to recommend um yes the appalachian uh trials book that was written by zach davis is a must if you're gonna through hike you can you can you can research about gear and you know all that all you want and get your pack weight is super light but if your mental is not into it and you're not mentally ready for this you're not gonna through hike like it's all about your mental game and that book prepares you extremely um well for a through hike and what you're what you're gonna experience, you know, mentally. That that book is hands down one of my one of my favorites. 
I actually haven't read that. I need to get my hands on that. Yeah, it's it's a really good read, even if it's even if you've already through hike, like it's it connects you know a through hike with life, you know, extremely well. Do you know how much your pack weighed? Uh, my base weight was um, around uh, around twelve pounds, and then with like food and water, it I think the most it ever weighed at one point was like twenty eight pounds. And how can everybody find you on social media if they want to check out your awesome long trail photos and see the great outdoors through your eyes? You can uh, follow me on Instagram at Aaron Ivy. It's just my name. Pretty simple. Um, you can also find me on Facebook at Aaron Ivy. And um, those are the two social medias that I, that I really use a lot. Um, I also am a writer for the Outbound Collective. If you just put in the outbound.com slash Aaron Ivy, uh, you can find like a bunch of writings that I do and um, little little stories and stuff. Awesome. Thank you for uh, reaching out and taking the time. Yeah, you're so welcome, man. The connection got pretty bad there at the end. If you didn't understand what Aaron was saying, you can find him on Instagram and Facebook at Aaron Ibey. That's A-A-R-O-N-I-B-E-Y. I definitely suggest checking him out on Instagram. He does post some awesome photos of hiking and the outdoors. He is also a contributor to the Outbound Collective. You can find his writing at theoutbound.com slash Aaron Ibey. All right, as always, thanks for tuning in to Hiker Trash. Be on the lookout for the next episode coming soon. And please reach out to us at hikertrashpod at gmail.com if you are interested in being on the podcast. Thanks again for tuning in and happy trails.